Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast from Morningstar. In this week's podcast, Amy Arnott discusses how new retirees can make sure they don't outlive their assets. Susan Jabinski shares her picks for stocks during market volatility. And Madeline Hume talks cryptocurrency myths. Let's get started. Here is Susan Jabinski from Morningstar Inc. with Amy Arnott from Morningstar Research Services. Hi, I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar. With both stocks and bonds struggling this year and inflation persisting, recent retirees may be concerned about whether they've chosen the wrong time to retire and what they can do to make sure their retirement assets last their lifetimes. Joining me today to discuss the topic is Amy Arnott. Amy is a portfolio strategist with Morningstar. Nice to see you, Amy. Great, thanks. Nice to be here. So the recent meltdown in both the stock and bond markets at the same time um, may leave retirees thinking that, oh no, what have I done? Um, And makes them vulnerable to something called sequence of return risk. So let's talk a little bit first about what sequence of return risk is and why it might be especially pressing for some new retirees today. Yeah, so sequence of of returns is basically the order in which the returns are happening. And it usually doesn't matter if you are someone who's just buying and holding for a long period. What's really going to affect your results is the average return over time. But if you're a retiree who's taking cash out of your portfolio, sequence of returns can be more of an issue. Um, And especially in a case where you have a negative sequence of returns early in retirement, it can be sort of a double whammy because your portfolio value is going down plus you're taking money out of the portfolio. Um, So the portfolio is getting smaller and then you have less assets available to recover when the market eventually rebounds. And as you mentioned, Um, Usually this is less of an issue for people who have balanced portfolios with both stocks and bonds, but because both stocks and bonds are down this year, um, it has been more of a concern for many people who are recently retired. So you recently took a look at various different time periods in history when um, we've seen some market duress, and you looked at what impact these unfavorable patterns of sequence of returns actually had on portfolios. What did you find? So I looked at three different periods. Uh, One was 1929 to 1932. Uh, The second was the bear market in 1973 and 74. And then I also looked at the technology crash in the early 2000s. So these are basically some of the worst periods ever for a sequence of returns. And what I found is that even though these were all very difficult times, uh, especially after the 1929 crash, retirees did actually see their portfolios recover eventually. So despite having a very adverse sequence of returns, um, they still did not run out of money in general. So can retirees sort of breathe a little sigh of relief based on that data thinking, oh, okay, you know, maybe this is going to be okay. And, And, you know, what role might inflation play this time around? Right. So, you know, one problem with looking at previous history is we only have about 96 years worth of market history to look at. Um, so there's no guarantee that, you know, things things might not be worse in the future, um, especially if you have an environment where stocks and bonds are both declining for several years 
plus you, ha- uh, you have above average inflation. But the odds of those three things happening all at the same time are probably relatively low. So in a recent article, you you talked about a couple of things that retirees can do to help ensure that their retirement assets will last, you know, given that they're facing some of the sequence of return risk. Um, One thing that you mentioned in your article is to employ a bucket strategy in retirement, which is something our colleague Christine Benz has talked about a lot over the years. So talk a little bit about what the bucket strategy is and why it is a good approach for investors, for retirees specifically to consider, particularly maybe at a time like this. Yeah, the bucket strategy basically involves taking um, your expected withdrawals for the next one or two years and kind of setting those aside in a separate bucket that is in cash or other highly liquid investments. Um, And this can be helpful because you don't have to worry about drawing down from your portfolio um, in a period when it might be down. So this can also help protect the portfolio because you have more assets left to recover when the market eventually rebounds. And and related, you say that retirees should also consider perhaps taking a more flexible approach during a time like this with their portfolio withdrawals in retirement. Um, What are a couple of ideas here about how you might be more flexible as a retiree with your portfolio withdrawal rate? Right. So the classic rule of thumb that a lot of people follow is the 4% rule, um, which involves looking at the value of your portfolio, taking 4% of that as your starting withdrawal amount, and then adjusting that amount each year for inflation. Um, but there's, you don't have to be that rigid about it. So there are a lot of different approaches you can take. Um, one would be not adjusting your withdrawals for inflation. Um, Another is maybe in years when the portfolio value is down, um, don't take an inflation adjustment. Another option would be using RMDs or required minimum distributions to determine how much you're going to take out of your portfolio, which will usually lead you to a more conservative withdrawal number. Uh, And then there's also the guardrails approach, which basically involves taking slightly higher withdrawals in years when the portfolio value is up or lower withdrawals in years when the value is down. Well, Amy, thank you for your time today. This is certainly a challenging time for retirees who need to tap into those portfolios. So we appreciate your tips. Thanks. Great to be here. I'm Susan Chabinski with Morningstar. Thanks for tuning in. Expand your investing horizons and look to the long term with Morningstar's podcast, The Long View. Join hosts Christine Benz and Jeff Patak as they talk to influential leaders in investing, advice, and personal finance. Search for and subscribe to The Long View today. Next, Susan Javinsky shares her top stock picks in this unsteady market. I'm Susan Javinsky with Morningstar. Investors today are concerned about rising interest rates, hot inflation, and economic uncertainty. During tumultuous times, some investors may be looking for stocks that are reliable, from companies that are likely to withstand economic uncertainty. To find such companies, investors should focus on a few key things. First, focus on companies that have significant competitive advantages that should allow them to fend off competitors in even the toughest times. And these competitive advantages should be stable or growing. Next, the company should have reasonably certain cash flows, sales predictability, and modest leverage. These companies should be run by good managers. 
and their stocks should be trading below what they're worth to provide a margin of safety. One stock that fits the bill today is Clorox. Like others in its industry, Clorox is facing a surge in costs. Morningstar's analyst thinks Clorox will likely be able to pass along at least some of those additional costs to consumers, thanks to the company's strong brand. We also think Clorox management is exceptionally adept when it comes to managing the balance sheet, shareholder distributions, and investments. We think Clorox stock is undervalued relative to our $161 fair value estimate. Another stock that fits the bill is Roche. Roche's drug portfolio and industry-leading diagnostics combined create significant and sustainable competitive advantages. Morningstar's analyst thinks the firm has several growth drivers in drugs treating multiple sclerosis, hemophilia, and spinal muscular atrophy that will help the company maintain top-line growth and margin expansion. We think Roche stock is undervalued, trading below our $55 fair value. Lastly, there's Unilever. Earlier in June, Tryon Partners accumulated a 1.5% stake in the company and took a seat on the board. Morningstar's analyst thinks this move may finally be the catalyst to unlock value at Unilever, whose portfolio of brands includes Lipton Teas, Nor Soups and Sauces, and Axe and Dove Skin Products. Unilever has been able to raise prices in the face of inflation and still enjoy robust consumer demand. We think shares are undervalued, trading below our $56 fair value estimate. Lastly, Madeline Hume from Morningstar Research Services shares her insights into investing in cryptocurrency. Hi, I'm Susan Javinsky with Morningstar. Although cryptocurrencies have been making headlines as a growing asset class, the crypto landscape is complicated and can be difficult to understand. As a result, there are still many myths surrounding cryptocurrencies, both negative and positive. Here today to debunk some crypto myths is Madeline Hume. Madeline is a senior research analyst for Morningstar who recently published Morningstar's first cryptocurrency landscape report. Nice to see you, Madeline. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Susan. All right, let's walk through some of these myths. Um, One of them is that uh, cryptocurrency can help diversify an equity portfolio, and may even be an inflation hedge. Now, we've had a volatile stock market this year, and we've certainly seen some inflation. Has crypto really been uh, a diversifier? People like to say that when they see something new, uh, they like to compare it to things that they've seen before, right? So if something walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, well, maybe it is a duck. But cryptocurrencies at this point are still a platypus. There's a couple of different things going on under there, and there's really nothing that we can compare it to that's a perfect comparison. So with correlations to equity markets, there are some times when they trade really closely together. Oftentimes, it's when markets are under stress and liquidity is compressed and people are selling across the board. So that would be the current market that we're in. There are other times when the seas are a little bit smoother that those correlations tend to break apart. Uh, But in short, this asset class is still very new and there's a lot that we're uncovering about how it behaves. Uh, But there's really no neat box that we can fit it into just yet. So now another myth is that fraud is just rampant in cryptocurrency. And how significant really is fraud in this particular asset class when you compare it to other more established, perhaps, asset classes. It's true that uh, fraud and cryptocurrency, in absolute terms, has increased year over year. Uh, This has been accelerated by really notable, kind of notorious hacks uh, that have happened in the past year, which include the wormhole hack in February 2022 um, and the poly network hack in August of 2021. 
But the interesting thing is that's been influenced by the sheer growth of the asset class over the past year. And so the proportion of fraudulent transactions has actually decreased. Uh, overall, it represents about 0.15% of all cryptocurrency transactions, which, relatively speaking, is fairly straightforward um, for an asset class. So not all that different from uh, other securities that people invest in. Some will argue that it's really the adoption of blockchain technology. That's what's driving interest in crypto and in its performance. Um, is that really the case? And if not, what does that mean for investors in cryptocurrency? Actually, Susan, you know, it's funny, we actually kind of see the opposite, where the rabid investor interest in cryptocurrencies has led companies to ask themselves how they can incorporate blockchain technology mm -hmm. into their operations. Great example of this is Square changing its name to Block to kind of honor or announce this new era of more crypto-friendly business lines. And then, you know, you touch base with it a year later, and there really are no products to speak of just yet that deliver on that promise. Uh, so there's still a lot to kind of uncover about how blockchains will be used in um, our everyday life, and the conversation is far from settled. But what is important for investors to keep in mind is that performance for this asset class is much more uh, in line with what is the flavor of the month and not so much the steady adoption of blockchain technologies. There may be a day in the future where that happens, but we're just not there yet. And then lastly, there's this myth that cryptocurrency is really easy to buy and sell, just like you'd buy or sell a stock or an ETF. True? Well, it's certainly true that it's easy enough to open a Coinbase account and start buying and selling, but the devil is really in the details with this. Uh, companies will charge a really high premium for the privilege of being able to buy and sell so easily. Uh, just to kind of give you an example, Morningstar did a study of some of the biggest exchanges uh, that offer cryptocurrency trades, and the average trade is about 1.5% mm. transaction fee. That's a huge, huge commission cost relative to the frictionless trading that we see in stocks and ETFs. Um, and sometimes transaction fees can run well in excess of that. I mean, mm. I personally have paid more than 8% on some transactions. Mm. So uh, it's really important with crypto and looking through all these really pretty user interfaces to read the fine print. Well, thank you, Madeline, for sort of debunking some of these uh, crypto myths today. I'm sure we'll be talking more with you about more of the myths in the future, given the increased interest in this asset class. We appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me, Susan. I'm Susan Javinsky with Morningstar. Thanks for tuning in. That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast from Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services, LLC, is a subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. 
Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.